Hello, I'm Emily Booter, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. When I first met Sophie Brooks, it was on day one of our year-long senior thesis course at NYU. I was struck by Brooks' particular blend of British wit and Los Angeles cheerfulness. One moment, she'd be deadpanning a caustic quip, and the next, she'd have something optimistic to say. Brooks's directorial debut, The Boy Downstairs, has her singular personality written all over it. The film, which Brooks both wrote and directed, premiered at this year's Tribeca Film Festival. It stars Zasha Mamet in her first starring role since Girls, as a 20-something aspiring writer named Diana, who returns to New York from a jaunt in Europe. When she lands an amazing apartment in Brooklyn's Fort Greene, which also happens to be the home of the No Film School offices, Diana's life seems back on track. But soon she discovers the identity of her downstairs neighbor. It's none other than her ex-boyfriend, with whom Diana had a messy and painful breakup right before she went off to Europe. What ensues is a dramedy of manners that sees Diana and her ex, played by a convincing and multi-layered Matthew Shear, bumble around as they try to find out whether they can or should be friends. Although the boy downstairs technically falls under the rom-com umbrella, Brooks manages to sidestep many of that genre's pitfalls. For one, the bittersweet story is laced with the kind of regret and disillusionment that normally belongs to strict dramas. But when it's funny, it's funny. At Tribeca, I sat down with Sophie and her producer, David Brooks, who also happens to be her brother. We had a wide-ranging conversation about their process, during which David was determined to prevent Sophie from making the same mistakes he did as a first-time director. Do you each want to introduce yourselves and say what your role was on the project? Yeah, I'm Sophie Brooks, and I'm the writer and director. Uh, I'm David Brooks, and I'm the producer, or one of the producers. And it's not a coincidence that they have the same last name because they're brother and sister. It's true. Same mother, same father. What a coincidence. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Um, So at the premiere, um, Zasha said pretty distinctly that she was so impressed with your script and that that was really the selling point. It was one, she said actually that it was one of the best scripts she'd ever read. Um, so I kind of want to start talking about the writing process and get into how long you developed that for and um, where the idea came from. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the idea when um, I was I was working on a short film, actually, my last short film that I made, Maple Leaves, and I um, got hit by a car as a pedestrian. Oh, my God. And then 10 days later, I got appendicitis. So I was, um, like, in the hospital getting surgery, but, like, also had a fractured knee and, like, bruises all over my body. (laughs) It was on crutches. That's really bad luck. So it was very bad luck. um, And my parents were out of town, and my brother basically moved into my apartment to take care of me because I was incapacitated. And while I was recovering um, and had nothing to do but think, I um, came up with this idea of what if the only person who could take care of you if you got in an accident was an ex-boyfriend and what would be the reason for that? And if they were neighbors, he would, and he witnessed something, he would obviously take you to the hospital. So that tiny scene, turned out to be a tiny scene in the movie, um, is kind of where the, the movie came from. Uh, I knew I wanted to do romantic comedy genre. It's my favorite genre. And I knew I wanted to explore um, a previous relationship and and what exes kind of mean to people and how you revisit relationships. Um, So the story kind of built around that. 
And then I wrote a really terrible draft (laughs) and then took a break from it. Um, For how long? I wrote a pretty bad draft in the summer of 2014. And then I probably took like two months off and started started writing it basically like new again from scratch um, in September of 2015. No, 14, 2014. Yeah. And then I wrote, I spent six months writing it with a month off in December. So five months of writing. Um, And then finished it March 1st, which was my deadline for myself that I made. That never happened. (laughs) I know. I'm like really type A. So like, I'll just like do whatever I can to make deadlines. Although I haven't been able to do that again. I've like been trying to write other things and I haven't made any deadlines. So maybe it was just like a one off. But um and then we shot fall of 2015. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, it was pretty quick. So when you, from the first, which you say is terrible first draft to the final script, which is really good, um, what kind of revision process happened? Um, that's a good question I'm trying to remember. <laughs> um, I think I showed the first, well, um, you know Ariel Rudnick. Yes, a friend Ar- of ours from film school. Yes, who's a very talented writer herself and um, now works on The Path, um, a Hulu show, shout out. <laughs> um, she and I were meeting once a week, uh, writing and showing each other our work. So um, there was a system in place with her, which was amazing, where I would show her s- some of my work and she would show me some of hers and we would kind of be like, okay, here's what's working, here's what's not. By the time I finished the first draft, I only showed, I think I only showed my brother and Ariel, I think. And David said, there's something here. Like, I, there's something here, but like, it's not there yet. <laughs> but there's something. Some, something, something like, yeah, it's not a movie yet. Sounds yeah. like something I would say. Yeah. That's a good producer it's, line. Like well, that. yeah, exactly. That's a classic producer line. But yeah, I think that the, um, yeah, part of the, I mean, I knew that this was something that she was, because she's, you know, writing or had written or been thinking about ideas, some of which were just things she wanted to write. But I knew this was something that she wanted to direct. So I think, um, I mean, I'm pr- kind of brutal on material generally, but I think in particular with this, you know, I kind of, you know, as a as a brother, you know, this was before we. I was officially gonna, you know, kind of produce the movie. So it was really more as a brother and a fellow, you know, filmmaker. Just kind of, what do I think about this? And so for me, there was, I think, yeah, that from that first draft, it was there's something here, but at the risk of being kind of brutal, I don't think it's yet. It's good enough yet to be your first movie, you know. I, but I think that there's something there, and you know, kind of, I probably gave you a, a few kind of bad notes, but you know. Try, you know, just, you know, try and rethink it. But I think that you really, the time off seemed to really help because, I mean, I thought that the, when I read, and there was still obviously a revisions process after that kind of second draft that you came back with however many months later, but it was just, it was a, it was a pretty night and day improvement, I think. And, and really, you know, when I read that next draft, I was like, okay, now this, now this feels like a movie, you know? And I think this is, could be really strong for you. And so now let's kind of, you know, think about, what we can do to, you know, refine it from there. But it, it was a pretty quick, I think from that, not actually second draft, but whatever, whatever point, you know, I saw it, the new version of it was, was just, was a, you know, was, was really kind of close to, I think what, um, the movie ended up being, um, on kind of a macro level. 
and and it was a pretty quick turnaround from that point, I think, to get it to a place where you felt comfortable to start, you know, sending it out to people. Yeah. I think that the first bad draft was kind of me getting just like all of the really obvious things out of the way that, and it wasn't structured well. And, you know, I don't, um, I didn't learn how to write, I loved NYU, but I didn't learn how to write a feature at NYU. I didn't take, I actually didn't take a feature writing class um, at NYU, so I learned, um, I feel like I learned a lot about filmmaking and a lot from our professor, Yamane, where we met, um, but not so much about like how to actually write a feature. So I read um, a Story, mm-hmm. the book by uh, Robert McGee, Robert McGee um, and I thought it was so helpful. Uh, to just give me like an understanding of how to structure a screenplay. And I still like go back to it all the time for just like, wait, what is subplot again? What do I, <laughs> what, what is a character? Um, yeah, so I use that a lot. And it must have been difficult or at least challenging to um, deal with the, the flashback timelines because there's two timelines in this film. There's the couple when they first met and then the couple after they've broken up and now live together as neighbors. So how did you orchestrate the structure around those flashbacks in a sense that it made it work? Yeah, well, originally the flashbacks took place over the whole two years. And I think that was the, the first draft that I, that was what the script ultimately was, um, had that. And it was a little confusing. So I think I made a decision right after like getting feedback of that, um, that version of the movie that it just made more sense for it not to be, you know, flashing back. Because like then, then we went to London with her and we just, it was a little confusing in time and space. So I made a decision that it was just gonna be her in New York when they were physically together at that time before that first breakup. Um, That's also better for production, I'm sure, too. <laughs> you don't have to go to London. Yes, right. <laughs> very true. Um, Jumping away from the, the writing aspect of it, but in a way, in, in script format, flashbacks are really easy. Because <laughs> you can say, you know, right. w- yeah. when you're flashing back. I think that the challenge comes more in post when you're sort of, you know, the film, I think, generally is a pretty subtle film um, in terms of, and I say that in the most, you know, positive, you know, that to me, that's a real positive of the me movie. Too. It's yeah. really not trying too hard. Um, but that's something. And so I think initially the idea of constantly having, you know, sort of trying to indicate to the audience very clearly, oh, now we're in a flashback felt and, and even from prep you know the discussions of like mm. well okay well what are they wearing what's the hair what yeah. are the you know and so I think you decided which was great uh, on um you know with Matt just to use the glasses and him not wearing glasses um and Zasha has extensions in the flashbacks so she has longer hair in the flashbacks so it was very subtle things to indicate it um that I, I knew that I never wanted to have um a different like color scheme or something, you know, like different color correction in the in the past tense that felt like very heavy handed for this movie. So it was always like, let's be really subtle. Let's hope the audience figures it out. <laughs> and, you know, we have a card at the beginning that says four years earlier. So I, I hope people catch on. But it was definitely a concern. Well, and it was definitely a discussion in post. I mean, you know, yeah. we we tested the film. I'm a huge believer in testing. I think you have to get movies in front of an audience. Um, 
which I think is a challenge for a lot of indie movies in particular because it's just not sort of part of the kind of way the movies are made. I think there's a perception that, you know, movies are just made by, you know, at least imposed by the director and the editor sitting alone in a room and they come out however many months later and it's perfect. Yeah. But um, but any any yeah anyone on any you know any filmmaker I think would attest to the um, if you believe in this part of the process. But you know we, so we did friends and family screenings that were you know from fifteen to maybe thirty forty people and then from there we ended up doing a couple of sort of bigger recruited test screenings which are just so helpful, particularly for, for things like the flashback. So we could try out a couple of different things. And that's why I think we ended up landing on just having that one four years later at the beginning, mm-hmm. just to say to the audience, okay, yeah, we're, we're going to be doing this, FYI. And we felt that after that, and the feedback that we got, yeah, the feedback. The people figure it out after that. Well, part of, as an audience member, part of the fun for me was that um, at the beginning, you're trying to orient yourself a little bit. So it requires some participation. And that's what I want from a movie. You know, I don't want to be handed things in my lap. You know, I want to be asked to participate in the movie. So it worked really well on all those subtle levels. Good. Yeah, I agree. And I think audiences are really smart and like everyone figures it out. And I also think that's part of the fun. It's like, then I hope the next time, if people see it again, if people see it a a second time, then there are things they notice because like, oh, now I know exactly like that this is a flashback and what this is coming before. So it gives you a little like a different experience the second viewing maybe. Going back to the test screening, because I find that I do think that all film should be put in front of an audience. Like you said, um, were you able to anticipate some of the notes that you got? Um, did people pick up on what you thought the film's um, question marks were? Or were you surprised by some of the notes? And how did you incorporate those into your edit? So testing's really, it's always really interesting. And always on, on every movie, I find it, it's, a, it's a different thing. I think certain aspects you obviously have a position on. And oftentimes the filmmaker, you know, the editor will have a different you know, opinion on something to the director and the producer will have a separate opinion. And so it's always part of the discovery process is, um, you know, there's always a discovery process there, but I think it, it kind of works on two levels. One of them is just affirmation. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting in a room and you're laughing at things and you think it's funny and you think the pacing in a scene works and then you get in front of an audience and there's that pleasant, like, Oh good, they're laughing here. That, Mm -hmm. that joke works. Right. Um, but some of the some of um, but other aspects are bigger and they and they are not as kind of clear cut and I think that you know it, it was interesting because there's also a question of kind of the core audience in a way versus what is a larger audience and so I think what we experienced was in our early kind of friends and families which were obviously you know the first one was largely you know kind of Sophie's you know a lot of Sophie's friends and some of mine and mm-hmm. some of Dan's uh, my, my producing partner. Um, you know, so sort of a, a pretty home crowd, <laughs> as it were, you know, and also people in our age group. And in a way, even though the movie, you know, had, you know, some pacing issues and all of the things that you'd expect from a first screening, it played actually really well. And we were sort of really like, okay, well, a lot of those jokes work. That's great. Um, and then the second screening we did, or perhaps it was a third, but it was kind of interesting because I think it was the third, actually. We, we did a, it was our first recruited screening. And, 
it's kind of funny. It's, it's actually difficult to get, even when you're paying for a recruited audience to get kind of that core. Typically you want to get, let's say a 70% of what your core audience would be anyway in one of those screenings and the rest you want of kind of a general audience. We had a really hard time getting that core audience because at the end of the day, a lot of people who go to see indie movies in theaters are, tend to be an older crowd. And so with that recruited audience, we were sort of disappointed when we showed up at the test and we're kind of like, where are all the young people? Yeah, or well, there were like, a, we had um, a Q&A after with only like, what, 10, 10 maybe, maybe 20, 20 people, people, 20 people, but like four of those 20 people were 17 year old boys. And I was like, that's not my audience. <laughs> 17 year old boys is not my audience. So they were like, we didn't like it. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You should not like this movie. Well, this is no, not for you. I, I, I think though that, that what it what it did ultimately reveal though was it, it brought to attention some things that, yeah, maybe the core audience wouldn't find as much of an issue, but we sort of had to look at it. Well, okay, but are these things still potentially you know, issues that we need to address. And ultimately I think we decided to, and, and they were much more sort of, um, you know, a couple of kind of core, more character-based things that really with subtle tweaks we're able to shift. And I think ultimately made for a much, um, you know, a, a much better film. But so that was, yeah, the, that was, does that kind of answer the, the yeah. experience of it? it? Yeah, it really. Were the, the notes were about character likability or understanding motivations or uh, things like that? Well, I think that there are some things that as the filmmakers, we just, and I think about this actually with writing as well. Like when I was writing the, the first draft that I wrote of the script, I remember, um, I don't know if it was Ariel or someone else saying to me like, I don't really know what she's feeling in this moment. And to me, it was like, what do you mean? It's so obvious, but it was so obvious because I felt it and it was in my head. So I think that there are things like that in um, the editing as well, where to you, an aspect of a relationship or a specific scene or a dynamic between two people is so obvious because you know them as people and you were on set and you know what your attention was, intention was. Um, so there were a couple things with, yeah, just like a couple, um, relationship beats and scenes that like, I think to us, we all felt were clear and then to a wider audience, maybe we're not. And it was really helpful to have that perspective and be like, oh, okay. So like my intention in this scene is not getting across, but if we try it this way, hopefully it will be. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing how really subtle tweaks can, can shift scenes and even, and even characters in a way, you know, just sort of, yeah, how you perceived, you know, certain you know, how, how I think we perceive certain scenes in terms of kind of who, you know, wh whose perspective the scene was really coming from or, or were, we, were we equally showing the same perspective or whatever it might have been and getting feedback from the audience that maybe wasn't our core saying, hang on, I really don't know where this character is grounded in, in this important scene or whatever it was. And then going back to the footage and realizing, oh, okay, wow, well, even though we thought it was clear, well, we, you know, let's use this look or this line that we decided to cut, whatever it might be to help clarify and to help give that perspective so that, you know, we can ground the audience in both of them in whatever moment it was. Yeah. Just specifically like the scene, um, we did a, we did a few different versions of the breakup scene. That was a hard scene to get right because, um, Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. it's about exes. <laughs> they break up. Um, yeah, that was definitely a scene where we tried a few different versions and showed audiences a few different versions to see what, if there was a unanimous thing, and of course there never is a unanimous decision, but like what pe how people responded and how we 
felt about it. Um, and I think in terms of perspective, character perspective in a scene, same thing with the, um, there's a scene in the movie um, with Aldous Howard who plays her dad where um, Ben and Diana go to a restaurant with her dad. And we, we tried a bunch of different versions of that scene to just get, uh, yeah, the perspective right of the characters. The other thing I think is that you're kind of always fighting it to some degree um, is, is what we you know, talk about as home movie funny. But home movie funny isn't just home movie funny. It can be home movie. You know, we just, you know, you, well, particularly with this experience, because it was such a great experience, you know, you, you know, I think for Sophie, it's like you're sitting in there in the edit and you're like, you love Matt and you love Zasha. <laughs> so there's a, there's to some degree looking at them as characters, but also what you see, you know, there are things that, yeah, mannerisms and just things that we found so endearing and or so hilarious or whatever it was. Um, and because, you know, you, we did, th there was a fair amount of improv done on set. That's the other thing you're deciding between, you know, certain improv lines that for us were just like falling over ourselves so funny. But then we realized like, like oh, actually, it's right. It becomes a little bit of an inside joke. And actually, sometimes maybe that scripted line for the audience is funnier or just a different version of whatever the improv line was. So, yeah, it's just it's a lot of discovery. So can you tell me a little bit about the process of improv that you used? Because you were rewriting you were rewriting a little bit on set, right? And yeah. you opened the doors to improv. So mm -hmm. how did all of those different elements work together? We did. I, I mean, I was totally open. They probably did versions of improv in every scene. But um, there were certain scenes where we didn't change day off and we just shot the script first and then would start playing around. Um, and then there were other scenes where we would get there and do it once and be like, ooh, this isn't quite working. Let's try something different. And the three of us would really just like sit down for like 45 minutes and I would let them improv and I would just be like frantically taking notes. And then um, like the, the Italian restaurant scene, that was very much improved and we figured out something that we liked and then I wrote everything down and we, we did that version basically. What happens in the scene wasn't improv and there were certain lines that we stayed, that we stuck to, but um, I certainly let them like lead the way with uh, what they wanted to say. So I think it depended on the scene, but they're so funny and such good actors. So it's so fun to play around with them. And, um, but yeah, the thing with improv is you can get carried away sometimes and you have to reel it in. So I think it was helpful for all of us to kind of like do the improv not filmed first and figure out what we wanted to do and then land on something and do coverage of whatever we had landed on. I also think that, you know, Sophie created kind of a, with Matt and Zasha, just a, an environment on set whereby they and they was just so invested and in, in, in their roles and in the movie and in working with Sophie that it was a very she created this very kind of open environment but also one where I think she she had such a clear vision of what she wanted that when she sort of wanted to bring it in you know she, she every I think everyone was really responsive to her kind of honing in on what she really wanted you know and so it, it really ended up being a pretty seamless you know, kind of, maybe not seamless is the right word, mm -hmm. but uh, but uh, I think for you guys, an enjoyable kind of process. I was drinking a lot of coffee while these <laughs> little sessions were happening. It sounds like it was a lot of improv as problem solving. Like you would mm. work, you yeah. would walk into an emotional moment that maybe wasn't hitting and mm -hmm. then you were trying to reconfigure it. Totally. Yeah. 
it was a lot of that. It was a lot of like, just th- like w- once I started working with them, I just, and they had such great chemistry and we as a trio had such great chemistry that there was just an opportunity to like explore things deeper um, without having to stick stringently to the script. Um, which by the way, I was actually really surprised at that I was comfortable with that because I'm such a like type A person that I like to like know exactly what's happening. But I mean, I think shout out to my producers did such a good job of like making me feel like I was in like, I think I made my actors feel safe and they made me feel safe. So um, that's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done, everyone. Yeah. Um, so I think I felt like, OK, I, n- I never felt um, and my my AD was great. I never felt like a manic time pressure. I'm I'm already the type of person that is going to be like, okay, we have this much time to do it. We have to do it. You know, I'm very much like on my own butt. So having them be like, it's okay. Like, take a minute, figure it out. We don't need to like was um was really helpful to figure stuff out with the actors. How did you guys plan out your your shooting schedule in pre production? You mean like with the flashbacks or? With everything. Yeah. Um, we just did it based on location, really, mainly, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that when you're making a small movie in New York, there are just realities to yeah. <laughs> how that happens. So um, just time and money, like every movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was, and really location. So we, we knew that because, you know, about half of our shoot took place in this in our main kind of brownstone location um, in Fort Greene, it was kind of, okay, well, we that's a block. Um, and then everything else, we, we were sort of, you know, jumping around various locations in the city. So, um, yeah, I, the, the you know, the, the you try and you, you sort of want to shoot things as chronologically as possible or as in a certain kind of order. And I think we, you know, uh, Nick already did, did a great job at, um, yeah. you know, get doing as much of that as we could. We also had, um, you know, the movie is set over a year. So it's set over four seasons, but we shot it in 21 days in the fall in New York City. So we also had this thing of like, okay, we need New York to look like it's summer and it's not summer. So there were certain things like Nick or AD would schedule certain things where we knew the girls were going to be wearing less clothing mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier on the shoot, just so it would be a little less cold. Um, and in the movie, the Halloween scene, um, there's a scene on a rooftop and it's supposed to be Halloween. And it was so cold that night. It was freezing. It was the week before Halloween, but it was like really cold, like 25 degrees or something. And it wasn't supposed to be in the script that cold, but it just like turned out to be. Um, so, you know, th- weather happens and things happen and they end up being in the script. Like the line about the line that Zasha says of um, it's freezing, who is a rooftop party in October was because it was freezing. And we were like, why did we decide to do this? It's so cool. It's funny because I have been in that situation before, so it's very relatable. Yeah, yeah, um, and and it also affected like we we had to be strategic with some of our wide shots because you know it's supposed to be spring, but we can't control the fact that all of the leaves in the background are a certain color. So it it affected us um, a little bit, but just in terms of, you know, the process with the improv. I think that, um, you know, Stefan, uh, your DP, um, Stefan Weinberger, who just did, a, just did a great job on the movie. And I think part of um, the the other great thing was that you, the two of you had a great, um, you know, 
understanding and kind of uh, uh, creative chemistry and all the rest of it as well. So because you know it was it was it was a little challenging in the sense that we would sort of block a scene, but the blocking in a way became that sort of rehearsal re- rewrite process. Yeah. So inevitably there would be, and you guys obviously had a shot list and a sense of what you wanted to do, but there was definitely this kind of point where they would spend the time really now figuring out, okay, well, what is the scene and, you know, whatever changes that would come out of it. And I think Stefan did a great job at adjusting very quickly because the actors by the end of that process were at a point where it's like, okay, they're ready to shoot the scene. And he did a great job at just, you know, moving quickly to, and working with Sophie to figure out, okay, now what are our shots and getting, you know, getting us lit in time to be, so that there wasn't then suddenly a, okay, now we really know what we're going to shoot, but we got to wait an hour and a half and have that lull and the actors lose that energy. There was a real sense of keeping things moving. And, and, uh, and so that was a big part of the process as well. As the improv started coalescing into your process, did you have to kind of rearrange your days around have, allowing extra time or did it fit kind of seamlessly into the schedule? Yeah, we didn't. Um, we like did not go over on days. I think we went over like once, maybe one time in the hospital. I think if our um, key grip and gaffer hadn't been so incredible at lighting so quickly, we would have had more issues. But they were so quick that it made up for um, us changing our minds with dialogue and stuff like that. The first few days, you kind of figure out what the rhythm of the set is. And again, I think the crew figured out what the rhythm was and were able to, to work with it. And the, and the other thing is that even though that kind of blocking rehearsal process, whatever you want to call it, took a little bit longer, it, I think it led to where Sophie wasn't doing 15 takes of anything. It was more like three to six max takes. Because again, the actors were just kind of there ready to go and, and they're both so good that it, you know. Yeah, we did not. We, did, we just didn't do a lot of takes. So it once sort of we got that, you know, once, once the scenes came together and we started shooting, it was a reasonably kind of, you know, efficient process. It sounds like you really kept it in the family, um, literally and figuratively (laughs) in this sense um, for this film. So how do you think casting and getting, I don't know if the crew members were also friends to some extent, um, but how do you think putting together a team of people that you knew and loved already impacted the film itself? Yeah, well, I had worked with Stefan, my DP already. So we already already had a friendship and working relationship. uh, I think, I mean, it's the only, it's my first feature, so I don't know what it's like not doing that, but it was so lovely. It was, it really felt like a family on set. Like the whole, we were also really specific about the other people we brought brought on board who we didn't know, but when we were interviewing, um, like Carrie, our costume designer, was so lovely. She was also eight months pregnant when we were wow, filming. Wow, that's badass. <laughs> so it, felt, it was so cool. So it felt like we were a family birthing her baby. Just kidding. <laughs> she did it by herself. It's incredible. Um, Meredith, we knew. Meredith, um, our production designer, we met through uh, my brother's friend, Ben. Um, they'd worked together, and she's lovely and... Um, yeah, everyone who we uh, brought on board, it's really important to me that people are that I'm working with are nice. I, I don't think it's worth it to me if they're super talented, but assholes. So um, we made sure that we had nice people, and we did. We had so many nice people. It was so wonderful, um, and it really did feel like a family, and it was... Right? Wasn't it the best? It was so nice. No, completely. And I and I mean a lot of credit to that goes to you know my producing partner Dan, 
who just did a great job, I think. At, um, I mean, we ironically, because when Dan and I met at film school, but we hadn't, uh, I mean, both together and separately, you know, done a bunch of different projects. I mean, Dan, before, you know, had just shot a movie in Colombia and, and you know, kind of all over the place. And it was ironic because since film school, we hadn't done anything in New York. <laughs> so we hadn't actually made any movie in New York. Um, but Dan just did a great job um, at kind of putting together the pieces and finding kind of d- digging to find kind of who were the people who could be really effective, but also would work within the kind of mm-hmm. within, uh, yeah, the, I guess the, the vibe that Sophie wanted yeah. to. Loving. The loving vibe. <laughs> I like that. That's the way it should be. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I think there's a, I mean, look, the, the, different people have different ways that they like to work. And obviously some people like tension and all of that chaos chaos. And that's definitely not how I like to work. Fortunately, it's not how Sophie likes to work. Um, so it, good vibes. vibes, Yeah. Um, and just people being adults, you know, is always nice too. Um, (laughs) so, which is not common, not, not all the time in this industry. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I think that was, it was, yeah, it was, but it was hugely helpful ultimately. Um, with, you know, once you actually get to making the movie. Yeah. I also think when like you get along with the people you're working with and they like you and you like them, there is a um, motivation to do a better job, you know? Because um, you want them to be happy. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I think it having people who you like and who like you, um, I think it's helpful creatively to the final product. Yeah, it kind of bolsters the whole experience a little bit. Yeah, I think it makes people camel. Um, so David, you're a filmmaker in your own right, and you went to film school and at the film's premiere, you said something really interesting that you were helping Sophie kind of circumvent the mistakes that you made on your first feature. And what struck me about this film is it absolutely does not feel like a first feature. And I heard that from people that didn't know you and had just seen it for the first time. So there, there aren't those cringeworthy amateur mistakes, you know, where you look back on it and wish you could change. It looks like a confident, really solid piece of work. So what were the kind of mistakes that you were helping her circumvent? Well, I guess I should clarify that it, I think it's, um, you know, it, ultimately what I kind of learned on my, the, the process I went through on my first feature as a director was just, I felt like when I, being very candid, I felt like when I, f- by the time I finished making the movie, I was 700 times, 700 million times the filmmaker I was when I started. And I kind of ended up with a movie that while I was you know, happy with it, was not, I don't think, representative of who I was as a filmmaker by the time I finished it. <laughs> and so that was um, what, you know, I, I wanted, I, I really wanted Sophie to end up with a movie that she was just completely proud of and felt like it was the the best version of the movie. So with that said, you know, I think that it it's, you know, my my role was it's very sort of subtle and at the fringes. I think a lot of those kind of um, not mistakes, but just things that maybe you don't think about in certain moments just happen in the in the context of, you know, it's your first time doing it. I mean, even I, I would say just watching Sophie um, and even, St- you know, Stefan as well. I mean, I felt like by the, after that first week, 
you guys together, just in terms of really owning the, the process and the set, it was like, I could see that growth in that first week. You know what I mean? And so it was, I think there were multiple um, points where um, I just wanted to, I guess, be there. It's really just about being there as a support system and being able to bounce ideas off because I think other, you know, otherwise you end up sort of a bit on a, as a director sometimes feeling like you're on a bit of an island and you have to always be the one who knows exactly what, you know, needs to be done at every single moment. And I think just having, hopefully just having a support system or someone who you trust creatively, who you can bounce ideas off or whatever it might be is helpful in, in, in that process. Yeah. I think that, um, what was most helpful having Dave, I mean, I'm sure there are things, and I've said this before in, in reference to what I've learned, but I'm sure there are things that Dave has done that have helped that like, I'm, I'll be aware of like when I make my next movie that I'm not even appreciative of yet. Cause I don't realize, but I think something that was really helpful in retrospect was, um, him making me try things that maybe, um, were a little out of my comfort zone at times. Or I think that there is this stubbornness when it's your first time making it. And, you know, you want to, you want to know everything and you want to know how to do it. And you want to be like, no, I I know how to do it. I can do it by (laughs) myself. And then especially when it's your brother. (laughs) Exactly. Especially when it's your big brother. But something he said a lot to me on set was, I just want you to have options. So he would suggest something. And if my first reaction was like, no, 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 I, I, I don't think we need that. And he would say, okay, I, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But I just want you to have options. I just want you to have options in the edit so that, you know, you don't get there and feel like you're missing something. And that was really helpful. And also, you know, made me be like, okay, I don't, I don't have to know everything. I can go to him and I can go to my other producer and I can go to my DP and be like, guys, help, help me out here. What's, what's working, what isn't. So in those moments of, um, of self-doubt or confusion, having him be like, let's just like have options was really helpful and something that I resisted at first because I wanted to just know how to do it all, but you don't and that's okay. And that's why you have a crew. (laughs) Exactly. That's why you have a crew. Yeah. I mean, options in the edit is just a huge thing always. Um, and it goes along with that sort of thing of on the one hand, yeah, you want to have a super clear vision, but on the other hand, there are again, always just, I keep using, reusing this word, but just discoveries to be made both on set and, and then certainly in post. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just, you, you just want to cover your, you know, yourself. And, and I think, um, in a couple of moments also just kind of, um, wanting to just sometimes just to be there to say, you know, is this the best version of this? Do you think that you're getting exactly what you want? Because I think there is also, even though, as we said earlier, you know, we, we were under time pressure as you are in any small movie. And sometimes you can't help, but feel like not that you're being rushed, but feel like that you have to get this and we have to move on. And sometimes, you know, just being able, just saying, you know, take five minutes think about this, make sure, you know, we'll wait. It's fine. You know, just, just to think about, did you get this exactly how you want it? Or is there some other, you know, can we just, just, so it's not sort of pushing, but it's just making sure that you have what you want. 
It's like a little quality control when you get like, it's true. It's like, you know, and I, as I said, I'm very, I was always very aware of time. So in moments where I was like, okay, uh, yeah, I think, I think we got it. I think. And then to have David just be like, if you don't, if you're not sure, do it again. Yeah. You're like, not going to get this moment yeah, back. <laughs> yeah. Just do it again. If you're not sure, if you're sure, great, let's move on. And if you're not do it again and just having someone to be like, it's okay. We can go five minutes over. It's not the end of the world was really helpful. Honestly, I think talking to a lot of first-time directors that is, or first-time feature directors, because you've done shorts, um, that is the biggest challenge, being able to know when you have it and when Mm -hmm. you're ready to move on versus feeling like you need to stick to your schedule and keep everyone happy all the time, like just by, you know, staying within the confines of what was pre-planned. So it's great that you were able to kind of conform to those instincts. The other, I think the other, and then the other side of it is just in post again, just having, because, and, and Matt Freeman, our editor did, was just fantastic. Um, and, but again, that, you know, it, it, I, I found, and um, I, I cut my first movie myself basically in my apartment. <laughs> so my first feature. So, but I think even when you're working with a great editor like Matt, there's, there is still an element of, um, you go from a set and you've got 50 people, you know, working with you. And, and then suddenly you're in a room, it's just you and your editor. And, you know, you guys work through and get a sense of the movie. But at a certain point, you know, we talked about testing earlier, but also just, I think, um, you know, Dan and I were able to, in certain moments, just, you know, come in and provide other, you know, other opinions or other thoughts to kind of how the movie was shaping up. I'm so grateful to today to have to have had Dave um, on there. And in retrospect, I'm even more grateful. But at the time, we definitely had moments of tension. You know, it's not all, um, it wasn't all smooth sailing. There were certainly moments where I was like, no, I can do it, you know? And he was like, okay, cool. But like, just take a minute. And and I also think that's part of like the learning process of making your first feature is like being okay with asking for help and, and asking for advice, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's also the, I mean, we're very close. Yeah. So there's challenges that go with that. And there's definitely, I feel like production, we worked through the kind of like producer slash brother, you know, sister, director, brother, sister dynamic (laughs) and found out, found by the, you know, by the end of really a kind of, I think an effective working way. And then it, but we sort of had to rediscover that in post to some degree. Um, And, and uh, again, for me, because I think the challenge is everyone come, you know, when you're working with creative people, everyone is always going to have their own perspective. And so it's really important as a producer, I think, to always remember that the director knows the movie better than anyone. And it really is, even as if you think you're smart, and I think I'm relatively smart, but, you know, it, the, produ- the director just knows the movie and, she, and and Sophie knew what the movie she wanted to make. And so ultimately, I think it, it was um, as much as anything, just, you know, again, me trying to just in- encourage her to, to, to make the movie that she wanted to make. And she was really strong and firm and knew what she wanted and was also, lis- you know, willing to listen to collaboration. And again, Matt, I think was so great in that process and kind of showing you different, just again, showing sometimes just seeing options, you know, just saying, Hey, we could play this scene this way. What is, what do you think? And then oftentimes uh, a bad idea from a producer or director, whoever, a producer or an editor or whoever it is, or a good idea 
leads to a much better idea from the director because again the director kind of takes that and knows okay yeah but i really know what this scene is about so here's what we should do it's almost like you didn't you kind of have this preconceived notion of the way everything should be and then suddenly when someone introduces a new element um it like cracks open all of the other possibilities and you're able to more clearly synthesize everything yeah i think that's true and that's in every aspect. In every aspect, that's a big part of you know improv is, and what we did in rehearsals on the day is that there is a version of it you have in your mind, or you know a version Zasha has in her mind, a version Matt has in his mind, a version I have in my mind, and then we play it and we're like, okay, like this is working, or like, okay, I think this can be better. Let's like play around with this, and then all of a sudden you end up somewhere so much better than what the sides were this morning. Um, and that's really like exciting and exhilarating and scary, but ultimately rewarding. If you had any advice for first time directors, I, both of you can speak to this because you've both been first time directors. Um, what would you say you learned from this film that you might not have anticipated as a piece of advice you might give before? Uh, well, uh, first of all, a shitload. <laughs> but first, firstly, I would say um, that if you really have as a director, if you really have a conviction, even if um, the people around, there was one scene that I will say that that David and Dan didn't think we needed in the movie, what, before, didn't want to shoot it. Um, it was uh, the a scene where they're driving upstate, and they they were like, I don't know, it's just not really doing that much, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't see what it's giving us and I just knew in my gut that I wanted that scene and and they said to me they they were like okay well here here are the restrictions with budget and location and stuff so like what do you what do you want to do and we ended up cutting like a whole storyline where Diana changes jobs and moves into an office job because I wanted to keep that scene that eighth of a page page. (laughs) it was nothing but to me it's so important and I and I love that scene in the movie and I'm so glad that I fought for it so I think even if your collaborators don't agree with you and I think ultimately you can you guys loved the scene and you're glad we shot it right 100% I mean that was 100% the right decision I think it really speaks to what I was just saying in terms of that the director does know the movie better than anyone so we're looking at that going, man, this is crushing our schedule. <laughs> it's an eighth of a page. To us, it feels like the kind of thing that never makes the edit, blah, blah, blah. And all of those sort of things that kind of can make sense. But ultimately, she knew the movie better. She knew how important that was. And I, yeah, I completely agree. So, yeah, I think just knowing that, like, it being reasonable, I mean, like, okay, I understand that we can't afford to do, like, that and also this, but I would rather get rid of this entire storyline at an office and keep this scene and trust me, it is important. And they did. And so I think that would, that was one of my biggest lessons is just knowing that, like, if there's something deep down I really believe is important, even if the people around me don't agree with me, I'm, I can be right. (laughs) I can, I need to follow that. Well, it's also kind of funny because that that um, scene specifically, which is really one shot, and it, in terms of shooting it, ended up being the complete shit show that we thought it would be. <laughs> I mean, we literally, it was like the sun's going down. We didn't oh have God. enough time for this. We so knew beautiful. we didn't have time for this. And it kind of ended up being a magic shot. You know, it kind of was like, I think we got one or two takes and that's one of the, or two takes and one of them was just really magical. And so again, that's a great, yeah, example of that. So yeah, I, I would I would just reiterate that it's just really important to make sure that you um, as a filmmaker are being true to who you are and not trying to 
kind of be something that you think is the perception of what a director is or should be at any moment and just try and, you know, be your own kind. Cause it takes, takes all kinds. There are many different approaches and many different ways to make a movie, but yeah. So that sounds kind of trite, but be yourself. Yeah. But no, <laughs> but yeah, I think being true to yourself as a, as a, as a filmmaker is always really, you know, really important. It's easy to get lost in the chaos of making a movie. Well, what's so interesting to me hearing that that scene was almost cut is that it's an example of a time when the story rules don't really apply or don't work in service of the movie. Like the producers are looking at it being like, this doesn't move the story forward. The characters don't change, you know, in the timeline, this doesn't fit, blah, blah, blah. But what was great about it was that it gave us a chance to just be with the couple before, um, because they're, they're together a lot in low key moments in the present tense, but in the flashbacks, it's usually motivated by a specific important event. And that was a moment where we kind of just got to see their chemistry as they were together in the past. So I see that as an important scene, but I can see why you didn't at the time, you know? Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. This was very fun. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you know anything about when people will be able to see this movie or no? We know nothing. <laughs> but We're hoping. Hopefully, hopefully we'll know more hopefully, soon. Yeah. And, um, you know. We're on Google. So <laughs> you can Google the movie. Um, yeah. Thank you for having us. And hopefully people can see it soon. Great. Wonderful. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the No Film School podcast. You can rate us or subscribe on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. 